Morning, everyone. Yeah, it's good to be together. What a cracker of a day, eh? It's always too much wind in Cape Town, and the moment there's not a little bit of wind, we all feel it, and like, just a little breeze would be, would be good, but let's enjoy it and celebrate it. Uh, it is good to be together. Are there any Marks in the room? Anyone called Mark? We're just celebrating you guys today with our nice yay for, hey, Mark. This is our little thank you for playing drums. We see you. Uh, if, you, if you were to go to any common ground across the city uh, at the moment in the last uh, couple of weeks and the coming weeks, uh, you'll notice that we're all looking at the first eight chapters of, of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark, hence the sign. It's the second book in the New Testament, if you're wondering where that is, Matthew, then Mark. And uh, it's a fascinating gospel. It's an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, and it has as its, as its big idea running through the whole book is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the theme. You pick it up in the, right in the first chapter, verse 14. It says, after John, that's John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So that kind of sets the tone for this gospel of Mark. And what happens in these first eight chapters of the gospel is he sets about unpacking or proving the statements. He wants us to understand what is it that the kingdom of God has come? What is Jesus doing? What is the good news? And so he unpacks that for us uh, in those first eight chapters, and we're looking at that for most of this year. Uh, and what we do is we, we take those eight chapters, we, we kind of cut them up into bite-sized bits. Uh, we call sub-series. So at the moment, we're in a six-week uh, a, a six sub-series called Good News at Last. So it's the fourth one today, two more to come, and then we'll move on in the book. And if some of you like to get a blueprint where we're going this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to read our text. I want to share with you what I think is the big idea coming out of these verses. And then I want to speak to three points that, that come out of the verses. Truthfully, there's so much packed into these uh, verses, but I just want to hone in on the three that I want to speak to us today. I'm going to make application for our lives as we go along. So keep listening, keep asking yourself, you know, what is God wanting to say to me? You know, where is God uh, exciting me and, and kind of making my heart rate elevate a little bit? That's often how you know that God's speaking to you. At the end of the message, we're going to create a moment for response, reflection, for prayer. So just so you know what's happening, let's read from verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives, gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her, so he went to her took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. 
That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Dun, 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 dun. Action-packed verses from start to finish. But this is God's word. And uh, my, pr- <laughs> my prayer is that as we, ex- as we uh, expose ourselves to God's word, that he just radically speaks to us and transforms our hearts. So God, please do that. So what is the big idea coming out of these verses? What do I want us to pick on? It's this. The good news is powerful. I mean, we've just sung that song. There's power in the name of Jesus. So that's the big idea for the message. I want us to just keep in our minds uh, what Mark is doing as he's writing. So Mark is revealing word by word, uh, story by story, paragraph by paragraph, who Jesus is. So Imagine we were all in a room together. Okay, check. You don't have to imagine it. Look around. Imagine that it's pitch black. Can't see the people next to you. Can't see the ha- your hand in front of your face. And what Mark's doing, as he's writing, it's like he's got his hand on the light switch, but it's a dimmer switch. And he's slowly turning the dimmer and, and turning up the lights. And slowly but surely, we start to see what's around us. We start to get a better picture of who Jesus is, of what he's doing, things we haven't seen before, things we haven't understood before, all of a sudden start to make sense and come into the light. So, so that's a good uh, kind of attitude to carry into the book of Mark as you read it. Uh, the lights are getting turned on slowly but surely, and what are we seeing about Jesus? And honestly, that's what I love about the series of Mark. And if you've been a Christian for decades, you've been following God, uh, whether you're new here, maybe you know, a friend brought you along, maybe you're looking into the claims of Jesus, maybe you're not quite sure uh, what to make of, of this Jesus following, this faith in Jesus, and you want to find out more. Now, as the lights t- turn up, as the lights come on around Jesus and what he's, what he's done, things happen, things change, our lives are transformed. And so as we go into this book, I'm excited about what God's going to do. I want to I get stuck in, but I just want to take a quick little sidetrack. And uh, it's not good to get sidetracked right up front, but I'm going to do it quickly. I want us to, to look for a moment. You know, often when we come to the Bible, we look at the teachings of Jesus. But, you know, the truth is we're modern-day disciples. We're modern-day apprentices of Jesus. And so actually we're not as we come to the Bible only to look at the teachings of Jesus, we should also look at his lifestyle. You know, the rhythms of Jesus' life, how he lived, because actually we're called to imitate not only his teachings, but also his life. And so I want us to quickly look at this and say, what do we learn from Jesus' life through this text? And I want to just hone in on one thing quickly, and it's Sabbath. Sabbath, you, you read about it in this verse. And I think it's important for us to realize that it's the practices that we live by that form us as people. Practices make people. It's not about laws that, that you know, the church puts on people, like keep the Sabbath, do this, do that. No, no, it's about, it's about gleaning wisdom from Jesus around how we ought to live our lives, the rhythms of our lives, the habits of our lives, because they radically shape the people that we're becoming. Very important. So let's look at the Sabbath. I want us to see three quick things. Sabbath is about worship and and teaching that connects us with God, to God. So it says immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Uh, The verses might not be up. I kind of threw this in uh, last minutes. But I wanted to pick up the habit of Jesus that on Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, 
The day that was, that was uh, you know, you've got six days to do a whole bunch of things, to live our lives. On the seventh day, uh, Genesis tells us God rested. It's a day we ought to rest from our regular behaviors and business, and we're meant to slow down a little bit. We're meant to center ourselves around ultimate reality, focus ourselves on God, celebrate our lives, enjoy life with friends, and, and thank God for, for the richness of life that he gives us. And so you'll notice Jesus goes into the synagogue. He, he knows that on a regular basis, he needs to connect his life with God's people and, and with ultimate reality. And so well done to you guys. You're getting this right. You're here today. You know, this in our culture, it was different for the Jews back then, Friday night. But for us, Sundays is, is the Sabbath. It's the Lord's day. And so well done for being here. You've got the right rhythms. And I want to say to us, let's be the kind of people who imitate Jesus as you go through the gospel, you'll notice every Sabbath, you knew where Jesus was. You wouldn't have to look for him. He's with God's people, exposing himself to, to God's truth on a regular basis. The second thing we see about the Sabbath is that Jesus enjoyed time with friends and family. So it says he immediately, he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So Jesus is a single guy. I mean, he's a single guy. Here he is with his mates, and they end up going to Simon Peter's house. I don't even think I realized that Simon Peter was married till I got ready for this message. But they're, they're in Simon Peter's house with his extended family and his mom, and they're all together. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of genuine family, like genuine connection. You, you know, you've got these, these, this married family unit bringing in friends, bringing in the singles. And I, I thought it's so great for us. You know, we've, we've got a desire to be a community of Christ followers that God's building together. You know, you can come to a church like this and feel quite disconnected. You can feel like, you know, I'm not known. You know, I could be going through anything. Does anyone know what's truly happening in my life? Do I know these people around me? Of course, we're not all going to be best mates. But I think God has called us to a, a level of community that we're really aspiring to. And one of the things we can do is on Sundays, on the Sabbath, we can open our homes. Open your homes to friends. If you're married, open your home to singles, you know, older people, younger people. What if we all just use the Sabbath to slow down and invite each other into our homes and to start to allow this richness of community to build up? We can't wait. We've got to just open your home and let people in and, and start to get known. And then you'll notice the third thing is they celebrated the meal slowly. So it speaks about Simon Peter's mother. He heals her. And then it says later that day, you know, everyone kind of, they brought the sick to Jesus' door. It's like they were there the entire day from the end of synagogue till sunset. They were hanging out. And I know life is busy and we can't always do a whole day. But you get the picture here that, that on, on the Sabbath, Jesus and them, they slowed down. They enjoyed good food together, good wine sat together, just slow down, enjoyed, ask each other about life. It's not always profound, but it's unhurried, and it's, there's kind of a richness and a deepness to it. And I want to encourage us, what if we started to use the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, in the same way, gather together with God's people, expose ourselves to the Word, open our homes, and just slow down and enjoy each other. And you know, it's, a, it's worship. When we sit with our buddies and we open a great glass of wine or we eat, what if you made the best meal you made all day was your Sunday lunch or your Sunday dinner and it was just a celebration and you just, you ate it with thanksgiving saying, God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for the joy of food. Thank you for the joy of these friends, God. And actually we can worship God as we spend time together. Okay, that's enough about that. But uh, it's beautiful just to see the lifestyle of Jesus. I want us to see today that as Mark's turning up the lights on who Jesus is, what does he want us to see? He wants us to see that Jesus has the authority and the power to change your life as he teaches truth, as he exercises evil, and as he heals sickness. 
And he does it by introducing us to two of Jesus' greatest opponents in his public ministry. We see the religious leaders, and then we see uh, Jesus clashing with evil in his public ministry. So, So here we go. Here's the first thing I want us to see. Mark wants us to see that in Jesus, you encounter a teacher with truth that transforms you. So they're walking into, into the city. Let's get into the story. Luke and Lauren uh, from South Penny often preaches here, Luke. Uh, they actually visited uh, last year, and they were in Capernaum. And it says one of the incredible things about our faith is to know that these, these stories are real. You know, they're not made up. These places exist. Jesus walked on these streets, on these dusty roads, and you can still go there today. And it's beautifully just grounds us in our faith to know this isn't something, you know, that we make up. And it's a beautiful place. It's a smallish lakeside town on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Simple kind of uh, simple people living there. A simplistic lifestyle, not simple people. But, you know, uncomplicated farmers, uh, fishermen. It's a place surrounded by kind of unspoiled beauty. Just a beautiful little town. You'll see some pictures coming up. And so this is Jesus and his band of, of misfit disciples kind of going on their first trip, and they're going to the synagogue. Luke actually went to the synagogue. He said it's beautiful. It's 300 meters from the water. It's stiflingly hot, and you get this beautiful breeze coming off the water. It really is magnificent. It's probably about three quarters the size of this hall, if you want to get an idea of the size of it. So they walk in, and Jesus begins to teach. Not unusual, common practice for, you know, teachers, rabbis, scribes to go in, open the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible, and begin to teach those in the synagogue. But, but it's not unusual for him to get up uh, to teach. But something very unusual is happening that morning as he does it. It says everyone is amazed. Now, I wonder what he was teaching about. You know, sometimes you want to know, like, was he teaching about sex, money, freedom, family? I mean, what was so amazing? You'll know as you read the book of Mark, fascinatingly, he doesn't often tell us the details of what's happening uh, in, any, in any given situation. He's more interested in not uh, speaking to us about the teachings, but shining the light on the teacher. And so you'll often notice there's not a huge amount of details, but, but he wants us to see Jesus. He wants us to see what this man is doing and what it means for the kingdom to come. So all Mark tells us is that, is that everyone's experiencing something they've never experienced before. Jesus doesn't teach like other people. There's, there's impact There's tremendous authority and power. It's like as he speaks, lights come on. Pennies drop into people's hearts. He brings clarity to confused minds. He brings peace to uncertain hearts. It's like he's carrying a revelation from God that is completely unmatched. It's so crystal clear, and it seems so personal for this teacher, Jesus. He brings this conviction to the moment, like this is truth. Now, we ought to ask ourselves, where does this authority come from? How is it that Jesus is able to do this? You know, normally what happens is someone walks into the synagogue, they open the Torah, and they, they kind of quote from, from famous and well-known uh, rabbis and scribes and teachers. And so they're kind of passing on traditional teaching from generation to generation, but not Jesus. Jesus is speaking on his own authority. So in the book of Mark, over 80 times you hear Jesus say, but I tell you the truth. It's like, this is something the world has never seen before. We know where it comes from, though. If you just go back a few verses to Jesus' baptism, it says in verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, 
whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus spoke with an authority that came from being the Son of God himself. He, he's speaking out of his knowledge and his experience of being God, of coming from heaven. And that's the incredible thing about the teachings of Jesus. You, you, you've got Jesus teaching with his experience and reality of heaven as real as this music stand that I'm holding. But you've also got him, him knowing fully what it is to be immersed in human experience. And you've got these two words, worlds, coming together beautifully in Jesus. And so as he teaches, we're seeing heaven, we're seeing the human experience and the world, and we're seeing what it looks like for us to, to live out our faith, to, to be faithful to God in the midst of what it means to be human and, and to experience all we experience. I mean, this is something the world has never experienced before. He wants us to know that if you were in that synagogue that day, you would, you would put down your phone, you'd stop thinking about what you're doing later this afternoon, what you're doing tomorrow, what's happening at work, you, you'd sit on the edge of the chair, you'd lean in, you'd be like, this is something otherworldly. This is ultimate reality. Well, let's, let's talk a little more about us. What else, uh, what could God be saying to us as we start to read these words? Well, Romans 12 says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think Mark wants us to know that Jesus is a teacher with truth that can transform your life. So for me, as I was preparing this message, it's just this fresh humility that comes onto my life. I think as a Christ follower, you know, we're so used to you know, reading the Bible on our phones, coming to church on Sundays, reading it up on the screen. Um, maybe you take time at home. I often read on my computer. I don't often have the Bible in my hand. And, and sometimes I forget the immense privilege and power of the truth I'm holding in my hands when I open the Bible. I can become over-familiar and a bit too casual. This is God's Word. I mean, this is heaven revealed to us on earth. And the teachings of Jesus combine my earthly experience and heaven reality in just such unique and beautiful ways. I've been challenged to give more attention to the Word of God in my life. And there's so much brilliant literature out there, and I'm learning to read and read more. And it's so helpful, and it's so encouraging and empowering. But I've been reminded that there's nothing that I can give myself to that is as inspired as the Word of God. There's nothing as transformative to who I am and who I'm becoming than giving myself to the Word of God. And so, yeah, I want to keep reading widely, but I don't want to do it at the neglect of time spent in the Word of God. Well, here's another way that, 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 that this teaching of Mark could apply to your life. Maybe for you, the big takeaway today is to embrace Jesus' teaching as authoritative in your life. In other words, when we come to the Bible, the posture of our minds and our hearts is to be under the Word of God and say, God, what you teach is authoritative over my life. It defines my life. I reorder my life around your truth. I don't reorientate your truth around my life. I don't think it's a stretch for us to recognize that culture for us, it's very uh, westernized largely for us living in Cape Town. It's individualistic. It's relativistic. It's, it's very autonomy-driven. We're coached and taught through culture to go through life cherry-picking bits of truth that kind of works for us and kind of aligns with what we already think about the world, and we hold on to that. So we start constructing and building our own worldview. And, and we're taught 
And so what happens is we make God in our image, in our likeness. We end up with a God that we've created through all the different things. And the funny thing is it's not like we even submit to this God that we've kind of constructed in our lives. We, we glean wisdom from, from it and we, we take some truths and hopefully it improves our life a bit. But actually, you know, our God is pretty fluid. It can change. As, when, the, when the change comes, when that rubber hits the road, it's, it's fluid. No, no, no. Mark's telling us that when you encounter Jesus as a teacher, you're not going to find a truth that necessarily fits your experience and worldview, but you will find truth that transforms your life. Truth that transforms your life. It's so profound for us. Jesus' teaching aligns your reality, small r, with ultimate reality, big r. Jesus is revealing to us the nature of how things truly are. As the creator of the world, that's what he can do. And so we receive it as revelation. This is truth coming into our lives, and so we make the adjustments accordingly. God is revealing to us what the future looks like, where all of this is going, and he wants us to be on the right side of the future. He's telling us where it's all going. And so our lives are transformed. Our lives are reconstructed around this truth that transforms. It's like when we read the Bible's teachings on on challenging things like money, generosity, sex, the importance of community, we don't come to these truths asking the question, you know, how does this make me feel? Or, you know, is this convenient for how I'm living my life? Or, you know, now how am I gonna keep, you know, living like this but taking this truth on board? No, 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 that's not how we come to the word of God. We come to the word of God with the assumption that God wants to give me life and life to the full. And I want to to change and transform my life to align with ultimate reality because he loves me and he wants to give me life to the full. Okay, Jesus is a teacher with truth that transforms. The second thing I think Mark wants us to see is that in Jesus you encounter a conquering king who fights for you. So Mark introduces us to another character in the story. We meet the villain, the devil. You know, you read the Bible, you hear about the devil, Satan, demons, evil spirits a lot. And when you read about something that much in the Bible, it generally means it's quite important. It gets a lot of airtime, and we hear more about the devil and his minions as we go on through the gospel. But this is kind of the first encounter of God and evil in his public ministry. And we encounter the face of evil in the form of this evil spirit. Now, I wish God gave a bit, I mean, Mark gave a bit more detail. You know, how do they know this guy's possessed? You know, is it the way he was sitting? Is it the way he was shrieking? I mean, he did get up. Imagine that person is sitting next to you right now, and they're about to stand up and shriek. I can see some of you are moving away a little bit. Joycey, I'm sure Colin's fine. I don't think it'll happen, but yeah. I mean, it was like a church meeting like this, and, and we see this, this evil spirit uh, showing itself. Now, I think particularly in Western culture, we find it hard sometimes to, to wrap our head around evil or demonic or evil spirits. Sometimes we find it hard to kind of live as though this is real. You know, we prefer to tend towards things that we can quantify, things we can study, that we can gain a fair understanding with, science, education, psychology. Of course, I believe in all those things. They're incredibly useful and helpful, and we need to embrace them. 
But I think if, if history and our human experience is teaching us anything, it's that there's more wrong with the world than we're able to quantify, and measure, or solve on our own. And so this man, whose whole life is colored and impacted by, this, by the presence of evil, uh, he kind of stands up. By the way, you know, sometimes we like to think of evil as systemic, you know, like, like, this, like apartheid was systemic evil. But sometimes we fail to recognize that actually evil impacts individual lives as well. And that's what we're seeing right here. So remember, Mark's turning the lights up on who Jesus is. He wants us to know right up front that when we come to Jesus, we're seeing someone who has a power and authority over evil. In the presence of Jesus, this evil spirit immediately uh, is exposed, and Jesus doesn't mess around. He harshly, sternly rebukes the spirit, and it, and it leaves. You know that word um, said sternly or rebuked, epitome. It speaks about uh, commanding or speaking with the authority to bring judgment. It's like a, a greater authority speaking to a lesser foe and ordering them under threat of judgment. And everybody's amazed. You know, it's not just that Jesus is teaching with authority. It's that there's, there's this lived-out experience of authority over evil. He's powerful in word and deed. And so the news goes viral. People are tweeting left, right, and center. Now, to be fair, the demon had it dead right. And it, it, this is one of the things you pick up in the book of Mark. Often in the book of Mark, the people that you, you would expect to understand what God is and what God's doing in the world don't get it often the religious leaders, and those that you least expect to understand what God's doing actually do get it. And so we read in 1 John 3, 8 that the demon had a dead right. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so Mark wants us to see right up front that Jesus is a conquering king. Don't hear that the devil is powerless. He's not saying that. We do have a formidable enemy as Christ followers who stands in opposition to our lives, who stands in opposition to the, to the kingdom of God, to our own maturity and our growth. He can discourage us, tempt us, lie to us, accuse us, make us doubt ourselves, break down our, our, our sense of worth and identity. The devil is not a sterile enemy by any means. We need to be on our guard according to the Bible. But Mark wants us to know that Jesus has authority over evil. His authority is greater. I mean, look at the evil spirit's response. It immediately leaves the person. I mean, it's incredible. Your trained dog barely obeys you as quickly as the spirit obeyed God. This is true authority we're seeing here. There's something more we need to pick up from the story, and it's this, that Jesus is a conquering king, but he's not only interested in conquering evil, overcoming the devil. No, no, he's a conquering king that fights for each and every one of us. You can think about uh, this battle between God and evil as a cosmic chess match. You know, everyone's on the piece. And the thing with the chess, chess game is that some of the pieces on the board are inconsequential. It doesn't matter if you lose a few pawns. doesn't matter if you, if you lose a castle or, or a bishop. The only thing that matters is the outcome of the game. And I think that probably describes Satan a little bit. You know, he's happy to use people for his own selfish, destructive purposes. You know, if there's some collateral damage, you know, the more the merrier for him. The only thing that matters is at the end of the day, he, the king, survives and thrives. 
King Jesus stands in total opposition to that. Jesus is fighting for the freedom of every piece, every person on the board. He's not only interested in that ultimate victory, he wants freedom for every single one of us. And he's fighting for you. And what does this mean for our lives? Well, if you're feeling plagued by evil, if you're feeling like you're facing tremendous opposition, come to Jesus. Lean on his authority and his power. Look to adopt his lifestyle. Take his teachings to heart. Surrender your life to him. You will overcome. It's such a huge topic. I mean, we could do a whole series on that we did uh, years ago called Supernatural. You'll see the picture. You can go to our website. You can download the talks. You can read a little bit more about that if you'd like to. The second thing I want us to see is that each of us is involved in this battle, that every person that's born finds himself on this chessboard. And, and you've got a color. You know, on a chessboard, there's no neutral ground. There's nowhere you can go where you're safe or out of the battle. The truth is, you're either with Christ or he's still fighting for your freedom, but there's no in-between. You, you hear you, you're visiting, maybe you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, not for a moment saying that you're possessed by an evil spirit like this man, but the Bible says that every human that's born is born under the power of sin, that we live under the power and influence of the kingdom of darkness and we need to be rescued, we need to be saved. Colossians puts it like this, it says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of lights. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I mean, that means when we're born, we're born into sin. We're cut off from God. We're cut off from true life. We're spiritually dead in our rebellion and trespasses against God. But Jesus came to change that. In the words of the evil spirit, have you come to destroy us, O holy one of God? The answer is absolutely yes. And he did it on the cross. Through his life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, he has overcome the works of the evil one. And through faith, we can place our trust in this death of Jesus as a death we should have died so that we can live a life we never deserved, reunited in relationship with God, reunited to life and life to the full, reunited to the Father who created us and loves us and wants us to experience Him with our one and only lives. I don't know if you've accepted Jesus by faith, if you haven't, this morning is your opportunity to say, God, I want to receive you by faith. I want to be rescued. I want to be restored. I want to be made whole. Maybe that's why you're here today. You know, God works in our lives in incredible ways. Sometimes you might find yourself bumping into Christians or thinking about God or overhearing conversations. You know, God is always at work in our lives, and maybe he's calling you to himself. Maybe he's leading you step by step that you recognize your need for him, or today you can come home, say yes to him. The truth is we all like to think we're, we're the king of the chessboard of life. But the truth is there's so much in life that's out of our control. There's so much we have no authority over. There's only space for one true king in life, and it's Jesus Christ. Surrender to him today. 
Okay, here's the last thing I want us to see. Mark wants us to see when we, in Jesus, we encounter a healer who restores you. A healer who restores you. So they leave the synagogue. I mean, Jesus has just brought this teaching. He's cast out the spirits. As he leaves, you can just hear the mic drop. Boom, I'm out. Okay, it's not his style, but if Mel Gibson redid this, I reckon it would work. So they head off to Simon Peter's mom's place around the corner. It's like, it's like as you walk to Kids Rock, that's how far uh, the house is from the synagogue. And this is the first time we see Jesus kind of encountering sickness. And they find Simon Peter's mom. They tell him that his, that, uh, his, mother's, his mother-in-law's ill. And remember what Mark's doing. He's turning up the lights slowly but surely, helping us see who Jesus is, helping us to see what it means that the kingdom of God has broken into the world. He wants us to see early on that Jesus has the power and authority to heal sickness and disease. You know that sickness and disease is not part of God's creative intent for humanity? That actually, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, cast off the rule of God, the curse was placed on the earth. And part of that curse is sickness and disease that entered into the human experience And Mark wants us to know that the coming of Jesus, the coming of the kingdom of God, is an undoing of the curse. It's an undoing of the consequences of our rebellion against God, and the kingdom of heaven has come to undo, to destroy the work of the evil one. And you just love it. He he reaches down, he helps her up. There's no manipulation, there's no formula. It's all very matter of fact, like not a big deal, as Mark writes. And I don't know if you've picked up the contrast in Jesus. It's just so beautiful to see. You know, he encounters this evil spirit, and you get this strong, confrontational, protective Jesus who speaks sternly and casts out the evil spirit, you know, like a, like a lioness protecting her cubs. Power. And then you see this Jesus with gentleness and empathy and understanding, taking her by a hand, lifting her up and bringing her to healing. I mean, it's the same power and authority on display just in different ways. And that, that is what's so remarkable about Jesus. Here we have, have God, here we have a man and these worlds being brought together and, and we pick up that Jesus is able to empathize with the human experience, with weaknesses, with suffering, with trial, with difficulty. There's, there's empathy, there's gentleness, there's understanding. I mean, what a God that we serve. The story goes on, and it's sunset, and everyone's coming in. The whole town's gathering at the door, and he's healing and casting out demons. His, his kind of public ministry really kicks off. They're coming to him in sickness, in brokenness. They're leaving healed and whole. And what I, what I love about the scene is you see Jesus amongst the people, you know, he's not just here, you know, as a distant king to overcome evil. No, no, he's amongst the people. He's responding to need. He wants the kingdom of God to touch individual lives and, and to heal individual and to, to come to people who are in great need of his help. I mean, isn't that just beautiful? I wonder if you believe that about your life. Do you believe that God sees you? Do you believe that God, God empathizes in your weakness and your sickness? Do you believe that God cares about your family, your loved ones who are suffering? He does. That's what it means that Jesus came. That's what the good news is. That's what it means that the kingdom of God has come. It's, it's for us. It's for the people. God wants to start breaking into our lives. 
maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're sick. Maybe someone you love is sick. I want to say two things to you. The one is God is not immune to your pain. God is not immune to your pain. God took on human flesh and entered into our human experience. He knows what it feels to suffer, to experience loss, betrayal, hurt, pain. He was willing to suffer humiliation, rejection, die, even a a shameful death on a criminal's cross. Why? Why would he endure that? Because he loves us because he wants to empathize with us and he wants to restore us as one who not only stands over us, but who stands with us. The second thing I want us to know that the kingdom is breaking in, but it's still coming fully. Mark is showing us that, you know, who Jesus is, what he's come to do. We're starting to get a taste of it. The Bible tells us that we kind of live in the age between the first coming of the kingdom of God and the time when the kingdom of God will, will finally and fully come. The new heavens and the new earth where the devil and, and his minions and the impact he's had on the world will be fully and finally destroyed. And so we live in between those ages where, where God does heal. And it's ours to ask and we ask in faith knowing God heals. But it does happen that sometimes we don't experience the healing. And we're left in our sickness, and sometimes we can wonder, where is God's power in this? Well, if that's your experience, I want you to know three things. Always remember that the greatest gift and miracle that God will ever perform in your life is the forgiveness of your sins, restoring you in a relationship with God, guaranteeing you life and life to the full with Him, starting now, living, lasting for all eternity. It's the greatest gift God could ever give you. Secondly, you've got to know that God takes you by the hand, that he walks with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You may not experience that full healing. You may still experience that sickness, but he doesn't abandon you. Remember what Terry spoke about last week. He, he comforts us. He strengthens us. He can cause us to endure, cause us to thrive even in the midst of difficulty. The other thing we know is that ultimately our healing and restoration is guaranteed. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So Mark wants us to know as we, as we read these scriptures, these verses, that the good news of Jesus is powerful that there's power in the name of Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter a teacher with truth that will transform us, a conquering king who fights for us and a healer who restores us. Can I invite you to stand? Maybe the band can come up.
Thank you, Donnie, for serving the King so well today. We're taking this time just to again reflect. There's something he's come to undo, the curse of sin upon our lives. I want us just to close our eyes for a wee moment. I want you to just think about it. You've come into this place. You've come to encounter this great. He's not just a teacher who teaches truth. He is the truth. He is the way. And he's the life giving one today. You cannot leave the same. Follow the story as Don was unpacking it. All those encountered this amazing, amazing Savior. They were changed. Something happened. Something was undone. Something was stripped away. Something new entered into their space. They left changed. And all because of the authority he walks with. This morning you're standing here and you say, hang on, I'm carrying quite a load. The Savior is here today. And by faith we're going to reach to him. First of all, Jesus, whenever he dealt with anyone, even when they were ill, he'd look at them and he'd say, your sin be forgiven you. He always go to the heart of the matter because the matter of the heart is the sin factor. And he wants to first come to rescue us from the curse of sin. If you in your heart have said today, I am surrendering my life to this new king. I'm coming under his authority. It's a new kingdom reign upon my life. I want a new rule to operate in my life. I'm surrendering to that king. As eyes are closed, you welcome to raise your hand because we want to pray for you this morning. There's a light shining here today. Christ is the lampstand that is walking amongst us. What was in darkness is now revealed. When we stand in His presence, all is revealed. So you're going through pain. I can't see your heart, but He can. So there's some suffering in your life. I want you to raise your hand, just like the human had faith, to touch the hem of His garment and say, Lord, I'm touching your hem this morning. By faith, I'm reaching out to heaven and experience your touch. Thank you. If there's pain in your life, you're going through pain that we don't even, cannot comprehend in your physical frame, reach out and touch him today. He's the Lord amongst us. This is just not coming together so that we can look pretty. We're meeting with someone who is the almighty God. The one who's placed the heavens in their places yet to meet us in all his power and glory. He's not here to shame you. No, he wants to place his righteousness over you. If you're standing proxy for someone today who's been going through a difficult time, Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a family member. You say, please, let's pray for this beloved person. You may raise your hand as well for that person. Thank you, guys. It's a moment where we're reaching out to Jesus and we say, Lord, you can do it for us. We're saying, let Jesus do it for us. Just remember when Jesus came, 
It was a joyous time. Joy rises because something happens. We begin to see a new sunrise. All be revealed. We have a Savior who identifies with us in our infirmities. He's not a God that's distant. He's amongst us. Lord Jesus, we reach out and touch you this morning. By faith, we lay a hold of the promises of God, of the kingdom to us. That you have come to restore us. You come, un, come to undo all that sin has done on our lives. And Lord, give us grace to many of us. We will not see the completion of that until we get into your glory. So we ask you to give us the grace the mercy of heaven to prevail within us. So even as we go through our difficult spaces, we rise up to comfort others also that's going through difficult times. So we don't do an inward looking. We keep looking to heaven from whence our help cometh from the Savior. It comes from Him who is not only in heaven, but is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for your power revealed today. The invitation also this morning is, as some will go and have a coffee time, you're welcome to come forward so we can pray for you. There will be many of us here. And some ladies we, who God is just touching right now to come and team with us, guys up here in front. Come and stand with us as we pray even for some of our folk that stand in the need of prayer. We stand with them this morning.